What happens if you find your dream job, love what you're doing, but still have that itch to do something more? Would you be worried about taking the leap and losing the financial security that comes with a full-time job? That's the predicament Mike Cotty found himself in before starting The Call Collective, a YouTube channel with millions of views showcasing the best, most famous climbs and routes. You know, the ones that are bucket list rides for any cyclist. Whether you love your job or not, there comes a time when you might want to follow your passion down your own road. And Mike's story illustrates how to do that without losing the security, connections, or financial resources of your employer. He used his talents to not only make himself indispensable, but also provide so much value that when it came time to leave, the transition to paid contractor was an easy decision for both parties. And that provided the time and resources to do his own thing. Here's how he did it. The podcast by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRumor.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. Real quick, before we get started, I'm happy to announce that this episode is brought to you by Health IQ. Later in the episode, I'll tell you a little bit more about them and why they could save you real money on life insurance. Don't have life insurance? Never thought about it? Frustrated that you're paying more because you're lumped in with unhealthy people? Don't worry, you're not alone. I'll explain. But first, let's hear how Mike transitioned from a full-time employee to a contractor able to launch his side gig while largely funding it through his former employer. So Mike, we met at a Mavic Road launch in Italy a few years back, and I got to talking to you about how Mavic sponsors your videos, and that got me thinking there was way more to your business than met the eye. It wasn't just that you were making pretty videos of some of the biggest, most famous mountains for cyclists. You kind of had a lot more going on, and, and your, your business has evolved from just doing these videos. So before we explain the entire concept of the call collective i you and i have talked previously about how you got to that point it's a really fascinating story for anybody who's in a job that they you know maybe they really like their job but they just find that they want to do something a little bit more and so let's start with you know you started working at cannondale kind of like fresh out just wanted to get into cycling you saw a job opportunity online and applied for it and you got it right yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy story actually. Um, I remember I was actually working for British Aerospace and just finished all my qualifications. Uh, actually, qualified as a as an engineer, mechanical design engineer. We were making cool products for the military and various sort of high tech, funky applications. But uh, I was always just racing uh, as a kid, and I just wanted to be a pro. And and it always just came back to uh, yeah, I was in the in the office just trying to put my feet up as much as possible and yeah, get on with the job in hand. But uh, my my brain was normally elsewhere, thinking about training camps and what race I was going to do at the weekend and prepping for it and you know intervals and yeah, everything that goes with it when you're sort of eighteen, nineteen years old and wanting to to get into the bike world. So 
Yeah, for me, it was, I had this career that I was building, but I knew that it wasn't where I wanted to be. Um, I had to get that sort of qualification just to sort of satisfy myself to some respect to uh, saying, uh, you know, I've, I've got something on paper. And as soon as I had the paper um, after studying for a few years, uh, I knew that it was time to try and actually sort of follow my passion and, and try and make something in, in the bike world or actually just get into the bike world, not even make something in it. But uh, yeah, so I, I was at the time, as I say, engineering was, was my, what my career was sort of heading in, in that direction. And I I knew that the Cannondale brand, it was super techie and I was really inspired by the the athletes and Cadell and the Seiko team and things like that. Uh, really had a big influence on me. Um, and I thought I'd love to try and get a job with Cannondale bikes because they, they make the lefty and yeah, not a lot of good solid engineering technology in there as well. So it's uh, from the race teams and the athletes through to the actual product, it made a lot of sense. Um, but I thought to myself, well, how on earth do I get it? It's one of the coolest brands in the in the industry. How do I how do I actually get in front of them? How do I make an impact? And you know, furthermore, how do I get a job? Um, and I sort of scratched my head and <laughs> uh, serendipity, uh, whatever you want to call it. But uh, I, I just went online and I was searching the internet and, and looking at their their website, looking at product, looking at job offers, job um, openings. And I just found a job um, advertised at the time based in their Swiss office in Basel uh, for a marketing coordinator. So sort of entry level marketing job. And I just thought, well, that's it. That's that's what I want to do. I've, I've got to go and uh, see if I can get a get an interview. Um, so I thought, well, yeah, I'm. 21 no i think it was 20 at the time so 20 years old um not 100 percent sure you know it's a big global company um i don't know what they're going to want from me i haven't, certainly haven't got the, the the skills and qualifications which i would expect they would need um so i'm gonna have to make some sort of special effort to try and um get their attention and i remember i put together a quite a, an extensive interactive presentation um, back in the day of DVDs and CD-ROMs, which we, we don't have, everything's <laughs> cloud-based now, but I made a proper CD-ROM, which I sent to them, and it had the uh, uh, Volvo team on the, as a sticker on the, the actual CD, and you put it in the, the CD-ROM, and this, this interactive presentation started, and it played some Red Hot Chili Peppers music, which well, could have been a make or break, but uh, fortunately it was, a, it was a make, and they really liked it. It, was, it just said it was fresh, it was, it was creative, it, was, it showed that you, know, you, you were thinking a little bit differently. Uh, come along for an interview, and I, I went out for the interview in the, uh, the June-July time of uh, 2000, and uh, a couple of interviews later, uh, I was offered a job. So literally sort of got my engineering qualification in June, and then um, August I was moving, moving country, uh, starting a whole new career um, and that that was purely really completely based on just the passion for the brand and, and passion for the product um, and just knowing inside deep down inside that I I couldn't do what I trained to do what I was the the sort of expected path so to speak um, I wanted to race my bike I wanted to um, be a professional rider um, and you know that was my dream, but uh, you've also got, there is a reality which comes with it, and um, working in the bike industry and, and started getting into that. So that opportunity came when I was twenty twenty, um, and by the time I moved out there, I was twenty one, and yeah, that was the opportunity where I said, well, if I, if I can't be a pro, having a potential opportunity to um, actually be in that world with a, a world class company. Uh, I just had to take it with with both hands and and try and make something of it, uh, and that happened. So eighteen years ago, it's uh, it's nice to recount the story. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty cool. And so you got the job in two thousand, which you know really that was kind of like the heyday of 
mountain bike racing. You know, Cannondale in particular and a lot of the big brands had massive budgets to spend on marketing. And, you know, you, you used to go to the races like the Norba Nationals and the World Cups and it would just be a circus, right? It's a far oh, cry from the way it is today. And so you get into this marketing job where you've got a lot of money to spend on marketing for the brand, which can make it kind of easy to do some pretty cool things. Um, and I'd love for you to talk about, you know, maybe like a couple of projects real quick that were particularly good or something you're really proud of that you did. But then Candle got into Moto and put too many of their financial resources into those projects, creating a motorcycle and I think something with ATV as well. And that kind of changed the game, right? Yeah, it certainly did. Um, when I moved out there, the, what I really liked about um, Cannondale was the office was super small. Um, the marketing team was literally one person from each country, and we would all just um, yeah throw out ideas around croissants and coffee, and it was really relaxed. It was you could if you were creative, which you walk into that environment, and it's it's. Um, yeah, it's like the Montessori type school, really, where it's like, yeah, I was creative. I wanted to get on. I wanted to make a difference to a brand that I thought was super cool because as a kid, I was growing up just sort of watching the the, the pros um, and their teams winning races. And, you know, so I went into that environment just with a, like so much passion for it. So to actually see the results um, come sort of full circle quite quickly in terms of you make a suggestion and you see it in the magazine in the next month you sit with the uh, the the designers and you know you come up with a new ad campaign that was it was it was really fascinating to see how a, a global brand like that would operate but also to be part of it just sort of fueled my fire even more um, and I remember one of the early projects with I, which I looked after was the launch of the um, 613 uh, road bike at the time so it would have been around 2001 and that was a sort of hybrid cross aluminium carbon product um, that, aluminium, uh, that Canada produced and yeah it was it was a huge deal because um, I, at, at the time my my boss uh, she actually went on a sabbatical which which was was good for me um, she was out for three months and I was sort of charged with bringing together the whole media launch how we're going to launch this brand new super innovative tech product to the world and coming up with the, the the sort of concept and the campaign and then also the actual media execution, getting all the journalists from all around the world to uh, a little uh, Seiko training camp in Italy early season in January, um, the logistics, the planning, the everything, you name it, the ad campaigns. I was basically in charge of that as a, I would have been 21, 22 years old. And, you know, I was nervous as hell at the time because, yeah, what do you know at that age? I mean, I just moved out there the year before and now I'm sort of launching a, a very important product to, uh, for a global brand to the, to, the, to the media. And, yeah, you just, you just sit down with your blank bit of paper and say, right, how are we going to do this? And you just start sketching it out and, and shutting your eyes and sort of visualizing it and, and bringing it together and moving those pieces into, into alignment until it will make sense. So I was really pleased with that because – you know, it sort of made me step up really quickly. Um, and then I was very quickly actually looking after a lot of the, the other marketing guys in the office. I, I ended up sort of, although I was one of the youngest, sort of having the most experience and uh, growing quite quite quickly um, within that small group. So, yeah, quite rightly, you mentioned on the moto, um, yeah, they, the, the early days of Cannondale were just so cool with the mountain bike teams. And, I mean, it was just like carnival festival atmosphere. And, it, you know, it brings back such good memories uh, working for them in that era. And then I actually trained in all of the moto side. So it wasn't like, although the, it was a you know, separate team of engineers and so on and so forth, 
uh, the marketing side was actually starting to be run by the the bike guys. So uh, I was trained on all the moto projects um, and and the uh, products. And yeah, I mean, I didn't really enjoy it to be honest because I was a uh, I was a cyclist. I was a you know a bike guy. And, you know, I remember doing all the product training and thinking, I don't know about this stuff. You know, I, I've, got to, I've got to go and talk to magazines and I just don't get it. I mean, I haven't <laughs> studied it. I don't, it's not, I'm not super passionate about it. Cool products, but it's not me. Um, but I had to do it. It was part of my job. And, you know, the, the motor was, it was a very ambitious project and sucked a lot of the, the resources out of the company. So the bike side was, was really doing quite well but the, the moto side every product which they made um every every product which they made and then subsequently sold they lost money on you know, they had to sell it i mean that, that's such a crazy business model it's sort of saying well i hope we don't go and sell another 500 because we're going to lose even more money <laughs> so they were in this real juxtaposition where it was the, the potential the market potential was so great that they they could do big things but they couldn't make the product cost effectively because it was Cannondale they built from the ground up they US engineered um, and they really sort of bit off way more than they could choose so what that meant for me was uh, everything was slashed uh, marketing budgets were slashed all resources were slashed and you know then I'm going into an office we're basically saying you're, you're, you're on freeze you're, you're frozen on lockdown don't do anything I said well what do you mean don't do anything I'm here to try and make sure this brand is perceived out there in the market as a cool brand it's got a great product um i gotta do something so yeah. well let, let me let me fill in a, a little bit of that gap so the moto project started in 2006 so you had right 2006 yeah. yeah so you had six years on the job to kind of build this database of knowledge on the products because you know as a marketing person to be able to do your job and explain the products well when you're meeting with the press you have to really understand the the real techie geeky details and i think some of the other projects that Cannondale had you doing was uh you know producing a little bit of video and, and producing their marketing materials and all of this stuff so coming into this point where the financial part of the business changed you had a really really solid understanding of all of their products and their their history fast forward to the point where you had to go into this new environment and be a little more frugal um, I was talking with another fellow entrepreneur recently, and what we were talking about is, you know, like we've got these side projects in our minds that we would love to do, right? But yep. our backs aren't against the wall. Like we don't, there's not this fire in our belly to produce them because we're resting on what's working right now. So for me, that's Bike Rumor. I've got a couple side projects I'd love to do, but because Bike Rumor is paying the bills and it's, you know, it keeps me busy enough, I don't have this need to get these other ones moving along as quickly as I'd like. And so I think that makes sense in the new environment with you coming into the Candles. All of a sudden, like, you know, if you could be creative with a big budget before, now you had to get really creative to try and generate the same results on just a fraction of what you guys could spend before. Yeah, that, that's really, um, it, it's quite interesting. And, and I love sort of looking back at the past and, and just sort of, yeah, just seeing how it all came together. Because firstly, we didn't have a huge budget to begin with. Um, it, it's not like there's the preconceptions of like these big global brands and there are certain brands with bigger budgets than others but Canada they never had this huge huge budget it wasn't like yeah you could just do anything there was a certain pot of money for your advertising marketing and so so and so forth but and then after the moto when um the company went through chapter 11 and uh subsequent bankruptcy and then got bought by by new owners uh and everything was put on on freeze and lockdown i i just yeah, it was it was a hard time, and uh, and I had I found a, a new level of creativity, and and I, 
you know, like you've sort of mentioned with other projects that you'd like to get off the ground, when your back's against the wall, suddenly this is when it's it's sort of yeah sink or swim and yeah I'd, I'd build up some amazing relationships with the media over over that sort of five six seven years and i was doing loads of cool stuff in the weekends in my spare time and and writing i started sort of sort of pitching out ideas to to the local magazines well that the magazines I had the best relationships with and sort of coming up with suggestions on content so features and um, I worked uh, closely with a magazine in the UK and we did a, a whole feature on um, the best climbs of the, the top 10 climbs in the UK. And essentially, one of their uh, freelancers would, would cover the, the, the feature and photograph it and, and sort of, yeah, I would give my input and I would write it. And uh, between the two of us, we, we put a pretty nice feature together. Um, and that, that went in the Christmas issue and it was a big bumper issue and it was, it was huge. It was 22 pages, I think, in coverage. And I was thinking to myself, you know, this is, I mean, it's what I want to read. I'm a, I'm a cycling nut. So I want to read this content. I want to read cool stuff about features, where to go, where I can ride, what's the next big thing I can do. And, and um, the benefit to Cannondale was that this whole time you guys are on Cannondale bikes. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, you're I was, getting exposure out of it, but it's kind of like, it's almost like an implied endorsement by that magazine that you guys are on Cannondale's when you're, you know, technically the story is about the area and how to ride it. Yeah, for me, it was always about, I mean, I was working for Cannondale, so obviously I was using the kit, using the bike, but I wanted to just try and get really good, uh, authentic content in front of people instead of like, you know, an advert, hey, we're really cool, we're really great, we're a bit lighter, we're a bit stiffer, stronger, whatever. Um, yeah, I'd read all that for forever, and, you know, I make my own mind up on products when I use them and when I have a real affiliation with a, with a brand, and and I just thought, yeah, it's the content I want to read. So, yeah, naturally, I was I was promoting Cannondale, but essentially it was to bring content to life that, that would actually help the reader. Uh, whether they buy a Cannondale or whatever, it's immaterial, but it, it can help. It can help sell the bike because it looked beautiful in the magazine and the kit looked good. But, you know, essentially it was, it was kind of a, a twofold angle that sometimes someone would get inspired by the product and sometimes someone would get inspired by the content. Um, much more than a, a traditional advert. So, yeah, that was one of the, the sort of early forays into, um, yeah, producing that 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 content, that's that type of content that would um, not only inspire but also educate. And that's really like that was kind of this seed that was planted that what became the Call Collective. Yeah, it, it took. It definitely took. Um, I wouldn't even say that. I mean, at the time, I had no no sort of inkling of the, the Cold Collective per se. But what actually happened was, uh, I was I was writing um, a lot of different features, and I was just. I mean, the media were just my buddies. We'd go out riding. It would be like, hey, do you want to? I'm going to go and ride a bunch of climbs. Uh, yeah, do you want to feature on it? Yeah, that sounds awesome. You know, so it was it was actually working really nicely for for everyone. Um, I could prove even more to Cannondale. Look, I've got some other skills here. I can write. I can take photos. I can, you know, I can do the marketing side as well but you know what's in me my passion is actually moving in a slightly it was evolving in a different direction and uh, again um, what happened actually was I, I linked up with a, uh, a friend of mine now uh, a German guy called Marcus Neuer he, he started a company called Cycle Film and he, he literally just emailed Cannondale he was looking for a brand to sponsor his series he wanted to go around and film sort of cyclo sportive events and again it trying to educate people on the events they could go and do um, and be that sort of resource behind um, bringing these 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 events to life for for, for riders so uh, he emailed Cannondale uh, the email 
basically filtered down to my inbox and I sort of read it and went, wow, this is really interesting because I'm almost doing something similar in a way of in the printed side. Um, Marcus wants to try and bring it to life in the video side. Um, he was looking for sponsorship and I sort of went, well, you know, sponsorship's one thing, but I'd love to be part of this. Um, yeah, maybe present it, ride it, exactly what I'm doing for, for some of the magazines, but in video. Uh, at the time, video, we're talking 2006. So, um, yeah, it wasn't what where it is now. It wasn't didn't have the, the sort of platform, YouTube platform and everything that we've got, um, which we're lucky to have now. But, uh, yeah, I, I just looked at it and went, wow, this is a great evolution. Um, uh, we did the first project, which was a recon of the Adapter Tour uh, 2007 route. So we filmed it in the October 2006. And... I just got on like a house on fire with Marcus. The projects were always super fun, super relaxed. He was really organized. So he had, yeah, I always joke because he had the, the efficiency of a German, but then he also had the, he was so well traveled that he had the, the sense of humor and the culture of like, you know, the American or an English. And he had all the, he was a real sort of mix of, of uh, culture. Um, we got on great. So we ended up actually making uh, a lot of DVDs um, for about six, seven years. Um, I think we had a library of about 15 or 16 DVDs out. Um, and essentially I would, I would ride them. I'd present them. Um, I'd represent Cannondale in them. Uh, we wouldn't really necessarily talk about product specifically, but we would talk about gearing and tire choice and wheel choice, depending on the terrain. And so it was much more about like, educating on the route, educating on the product. But, you know, what do I have in my saddlebag? What do I drink in the bottles? Yeah, just trying to um, do it in an authentic way. And that that was really well received, actually. Um, I started putting my numbers together. and I was thinking, yeah, Marcus took care of everything else, the production, the business side, uh, the promotion. Um, and yeah, it was a really nice partnership. Um, and I've got a lot to, to thank Marcus for because he sort of kickstarted my my um, my vision in, into video and film and, and videography. And, um, and then it, actually the way that the Cold Collective happened was, uh, so we, I was working with Marcus for probably six, seven years at least. Uh, and, and I could see that doing a, a one hour, 60 minute DVD and putting it out there for say a tap the tour or the Maratona in Italy, or, uh, we did events in Spain and all the big sort of sportives. Uh, I could see there was a market, but it's still a really small market because it's, it's maybe, uh, from a thousand to 10,000 people doing the event, uh, whether they speak English or not is another thing. So we, you know, you sort of start taking that big piece of pie and slicing it up to how many people you can actually reach. And it was getting smaller and smaller. And I actually noticed as sort of the online world and YouTube was getting bigger that if we were to put a trailer out and just a trailer of, of a really key part of the route, uh, that would sit online and it would generate some really good views. So I was the back of my mind was thinking, well, yeah, I mean, we're going to a lot of work to make this 60 minute DVD that's got a, a potentially a, a short shelf life and a, a smaller reach. Uh, and we can put a trailer out, which sits there forever, uh, can keep helping people. Um, and those yeah. those trailers, you said, were starting to rack up, you know, in the couple million views, right? Yeah, I mean, there was there was the, some of the trailers were several hundred thousand and they were so, you know, five minute trailer saying, go and 
for more information, you can watch 60 minutes of this, but people would just watch a trailer. I mean, they would still go and buy a DVD, but you know, if you watch a trailer for free, it's like, great, I get a bit of information and a bit of inspiration. Uh, and I started doing a bit more educational content. So I made a, a video years ago uh, on climbing techniques and descending techniques and the climbing one's got you know a million and a half views or something it's just sat there it's just ticking away it's still getting views now of course the, the footage is uh, super grainy and you can barely make out anything but it just goes to sort of prove that the once it's out there it's out there so that that seed was in my head and I was just thinking yeah that there's got to be something which I can bring together with the skills and experience that I've got and and subsequently yeah six seven years after working with Marcus um, I uh, I really thought to myself that there's got to be a way that I can produce a resource that can help more people we can get more videos out there I wanted to offer it for free uh, that was a really important thing for me um, I wanted to to offer a really educational platform that people could dip in and out of and if they if they really start appreciating what we do it's like yeah I mean I'm not trying to sell you anything. Um, just trying to, because ultimately I've, I'm trying to build my own uh, value to a, any of the brands I want to represent or work with. So the more views I get, kind of safeguards my contracts as an ambassador. So yeah, I think it's important to mention that all this time, you know, the, the six years that you were working with Marcus and producing DVDs, you know, we're talking like right now we're at like 2012. All this time you'd still been working for Cannondale as a, a full-time employee. Yeah, that's right. So everything which I did with Marcus, for the most part, was was weekends and, and evenings. And, you know, I might take a Friday off if I'm going to go and shoot over the weekend. Um, but, yeah, I was fully, fully paid up by Canada to, to be coming up with their marketing plans and strategies and advertising plans, plans and uh, you name it. I, I sort of, yeah, moved up. Uh, I was... I had a couple of different roles, but it was always marketing. So uh, marketing manager and, and, yeah, it was... Yeah, I was full time, <laughs> so I was pretty busy afterwards just to to try and yeah do what I what I thought was was cool. Really, I just I just enjoyed doing it. I just loved loved doing it. Had a real good kick out of uh, helping people and and seeing the reaction when when people watch something and it's they they write write you an email or something and just say yeah, that really helped me. So yeah, it was it was it was quite a journey to to then transition um, from a from an employee to a yeah an ambassador so what was that spark what made you want to switch to doing that from being like a paid employee to a contractor for them well i i was i got to 2011 um so yeah must have been with marcus for about six years and and actually i was i was going through some some tough times when you got business and career and then personal life i was going through some tough times personally and i just needed to uh clear my head and escape and that led me to sitting down and saying, well, what do I love doing? I love riding my bike. What do I, what's the environment I love being in? I love being in the mountains. And I just um, put a plan together and I said, I'm going to, I want to take myself off and I just want to ride across the Pyrenean mountain range from the Atlantic to the Mediterranean. Um, and I didn't know if I could do it. It was uh, 670 kilometers um, over the full Pyrenean range. Uh, I'd never, I'd, I'd done sections of it before, but I'd never obviously done it in one go nonstop through the night. And, I uh, just, I just wanted to clear my head. So, um, jumped in a car with my girlfriend and we drove over and it wasn't a project that was about promotion. It was just about freedom and escapism. So I just, I just wanted to get out there and, and that, that 31 hours or whatever it took me, um, just changed my life in as much as I went at the start, I was just 
I was just super confused with a lot of things. I didn't understand, uh, although I had good direction in my career and things like that. As I say, sort of personal side was, I just had some some questions I wanted to try and try and unlock an, uh, an answer and um, went through the night. Uh, kept riding, kept riding. Saw the sun come up. Uh, we stopped. Saw this amazing sunrise and finished at the Mediterranean. Thirty-one hours later, and suddenly I just had this feeling of uh, fulfillment. Feeling of just I'd just gone and done something which I just wanted to do. I just I was scared. I didn't know if I could do it, but uh, I just wanted to go and try and 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 proved a lot to myself. Really, I just uh, I answered the questions which were in my head and. Ultimately, as I was driving home after that, I mean, to put it in perspective, this is how busy life was. I think I left on the uh, must have left on the Wednesday, got there on the Thursday, so drove over, which is a, a pretty long drive uh, from the UK down to to the Atlantic uh, um, in the Pyrenees. Uh, had a bit of a, a prep day. Uh, it's probably on the Thursday. And then Friday started riding. Um, probably ten o'clock, I think I started, and then finished on the Saturday afternoon, and then. Uh, jumped back in the car on the Sunday, drove back and was back in work on the Monday. Um, sort of, yeah, right, let's crack on sort of thing. I've got a job to do now. Uh, but now I've done that, it, everything changed for me. Um, and it, I'd already decided that as we were driving home, it's like, I really need a life shift. I need a life change. And I had this incredible career with Cannondale. It was, they educated me very well in the industry. I, I met incredible people, made amazing relationships from brands to, to media um, but I'd done it for 12 years at that point, 11 years at that point. And, you know, I just needed to change. I needed to bring to life what, what I felt was inside me. Um, and that was more of the DVD work and, and more of the video work and just, just, I just had this passion for just trying to get out and, and just try and, and create something that would inspire and educate. So, uh, yeah, so I already started hatching my plan, um, on the, the drive back as I was exhausted from that, that big ride, but that was the, that was the catalyst. And now for a quick break. As an entrepreneur, I've got a million things going on. I'm also the breadwinner for my family and the income provider for my employees and contractors. If something happened to me, I want to know that these people will be taken care of. And as the founder, any savings I can get on insurance or anything else goes straight to my bottom line. And that's where Health IQ comes in. Health IQ is a life insurance agency that works specifically for healthy, active people to bring them lower rates than you'd ever be able to get on your own. How? They use real health data to qualify cyclists, runners, hikers, crossfitters, and other active individuals and group them into a lower risk category, then get their policy underwriters to commit to a lower rate on your behalf. One friend of mine, a swimmer, saved more than $400 per year on the policies for he and his wife. We all spend a lot of time and energy staying fit, so the last thing any of us want to do is pay more for insurance just because we're lumped in with a less healthy average. Curious? Check them out and show your support for this podcast by going to healthiq.com slash buildcycle. That's healthiq.com slash buildcycle. Thanks, and now back to this episode. So you're on your drive home, and you know in your head you want to break out and do your own thing, but you want to stay involved with Cannondale. What was that conversation like? It took me another year of, of, I put a full presentation. I actually made, I wrote a 70 page. Um, yeah, you could call it a magazine. I had it properly pr printed and bound and, <laughs> and I sent one to the CEO. I sent one to the MD and the marketing director in the UK and in America. And I said, look, this is, this is, and I called it the story of inspired marketing. And I said, this is, 
the blueprint for what I've done for you for the last 12 years. This is what I've done. These are the results. I had uh, all the numbers in there. This is what I've done in my spare time. This is I know the numbers you get from your marketing uh, with pages in magazines from your pro pro athletes, from your teams, from your video views. And I said, look, I'm not comparing completely apples to apples in as much as I can't compare um, one quarter or one year of my work with your pro teams. But what I can compare is my my blueprint that I've done in my spare time and, you know, a year of your pro teams. And I actually register. I had like 25 percent of the coverage um in comparison which again it's not apples to apples but the fact that i even had one percent would have been remarkable you're you're taking on a big global company and how much coverage and budget they put into their their pro teams and athletes and i i sort of just put it down in black and white and said look this is this is what i've done this is how i've done it this is and and really i was writing it for myself to understand how i could take this forward um because if they didn't bite you could just take that to any other bike brand or component brand and say, Hey, look, this is what I did for Cannondale. Here's what I could probably do for you. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a bargaining tool at the time. I, I wanted to put it in black and white because I was actually inspired to do so. I had this in my head, yeah, inspired marketing. It's a different type of marketing. I want to try and talk to people and educate and inspire. And, and, and but ultimately uh, I did come away from meetings and I said, look, guys, I mean, I've worked 12 years, 11, 12 years for you. It's been amazing, but I just think I can do more for you if I'm not working for you. And they're sort of scratching their heads because no one gives up a job. No one just turns it down and walks away and says, oh, yeah, I'm going to go and do my own thing. Um, I, so I said, I, I just really feel that I can actually bring more to, to your your brand. And, and I've, because I've got really good relationships with other brands, media, you know, you name it. Um, yeah, if I if I can do my own thing, maybe it's gonna maybe it's gonna sort of bear some extra fruit for you as well. Um, and ultimately, I would end the meeting and I'd say, look, whatever you decide doesn't matter, doesn't matter because I I was so laser focused. It's just I'm I'm gonna do it. So if you're on board, this is awesome. And if you're not on board, this is awesome. <laughs> it makes no difference to me because uh, I'm gonna get on and do it anyway. And I think they saw this, uh, you know, what do I, I'd be like 31 at the time, uh, 31 year old guy just had so much conviction that this is what I wanted to try and do, um, that they were like, yeah, we want to do it. (laughs) We want to do it. So they came on as a sponsor and I think somewhere along this way or, or shortly thereafter, it was, they offered you a good bit of project work doing technical videos for them as well, because you already understood their products so well that you could come in and speak intelligently on the, you know, the suspension and the frame designs and everything else. So it, you kind of put, because you worked so hard for those first 12 years and got so involved, you really put yourself in a position where you were almost indispensable for them to be able to do what they needed to do and wanted to do and also do it efficiently. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think so. I, I just from my career, I've seen that. You know, I'd always say that no one's indispensable. Uh, I've seen a lot of really awesome people. Uh, they, they go, they move, they, they, yeah, they get let go, or whatever. And you think, geez, how did that happen? And you know, life goes on. At the end of the day, I'd like to think that I, I tried to make a difference and, and build some great experience in that time. Um, and, and what actually happened in those meetings, I, I came out of them and I thought, look, whatever happens, yeah, good or bad, I, I really want to try and do this. Uh, but it was still, I mean, this is, I was, I'm probably a classic example. I'm in it for the, the real, this is no life hacks here. This was like the long game every time. And what happened was I had actually sort of had my idea of what I wanted to try and achieve. Um, but Cannondale, they had a very big need 
for what they wanted to achieve from video projects. And actually what happened was we came to an agreement where I would essentially be contracted by them for 80% of my time would be to do their projects, which actually turned out to be, uh, for the first couple of years, um, filming their pro team, so the Cannondale Pro Cycling team, uh, and making all the sort of team-related videos, uh, which was really cool. I mean, I couldn't fault it. It was, it was a lot of fun meeting the pros and, and hanging out at team camps and, and getting that, that content for them, uh, bringing the teams to, to life in a, in a new, fresh way. And then uh, but it, probably like they're so they're taking you around to these great locations and then you can d- duck off for a few hours and film your own thing. And, right. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of works like that because what I was doing, I, I you know, I sort of came back here and I said, damn it, I had my dream. I really want to do this. I'm nearly <laughs> there. I'm so close. But they've offered me that they said, look, we'll only support you. Con- you will only let you do that 20 percent of what you really want to do if you do 80 percent of what we want you to do. And I, I, ah, uh, okay, well, I mean, I, actually, I didn't have to think too much about it because, you know, give me 5%, 1%. I only needed 1%, actually. 1% of my time is, is I can do a lot in that time because uh, I can work nights and weekends and you name it. So uh, so I say, yeah, that, this is awesome. I do 80% of, of my time uh, and working week, I'll do your projects. And it started off being the, uh, the, the team projects. And you're right. I, I said, I mean, it was in the contract. It said, if you're on location and you then want to go and film uh, some stuff for you. That's great. I mean, I could then I was lucky I could I could trade off some of my expenses because, you know, flights and that I'm already there. I bring in my video guy. Uh, so I pay that. But yeah, it was a really cost effective way of actually sort of getting into location and, and doing stuff. But the other side was I was I was starting to um, learn a bit more about the pro side, actually meet the pros more, uh, film them. They obviously had a lot of fun doing that. So you build up more relationships, which uh, in the long run, you know, I've got uh, relationships with team managers and and pro riders and that sort of I didn't know at the time but you know everything's ticking away in the background sort of building experience building experience uh, and that that as the the pro rider sort of team contract started to to come to a close Cannondale actually came on board and said look we yeah we we've got a big project now where we want you to produce uh, all of our tech videos so we did a series of 12 tech videos over a couple of years explaining all their different products and with 3d exploded graphics and i mean it was a whole different world i was learning from video side to you know 3d sort of modeling and graphics uh who to use the best people how to get the job done um it's almost like they were paying to train you to take your own project to the next level which is kind of nice well i mean i would it, yeah it, it essentially like when now the dust settled and sort of a pathway is becoming more clear and we the coal collective becomes more established yeah you can look at it like that but at the time it was it was much more like how am i going to get this project done uh one because i've, I've got to try and you know, get the skills and get the right people and it's a lot of project management um and those projects were really long-winded as well they were they were super techie projects which which took masses of time at the end of the day when you finish and you've just been your head's exploded with uh how to how to actually get the job done and you know video editing isn't a quick process uh, by any stretch and and then you you think i've got to have i've got to try and save five percent of my energy because i want to carry on and do my stuff but uh, a lot of the time you're just exhausted it's just like wow and and that was that was super tough it was a really tough thing because i could see you know my my goal the vision was close but uh, and uh, and i was uh, i could reach out and touch it sometimes but then other times it would be it would be gone it would be you know lost in the wind and uh you know then it would be like ah, i've got to get this i've got to get the calendar work under control i've got to get that finished and i can then focus on my stuff and as i say you've only got a finite amount of energy so 
it's uh it's making sure that you've got enough energy to to try and and, and still progress with with what i wanted to do and um but everything everything led you know it was it was a nice process it all sort of led into into the next big thing so you've realized that the cannondale projects are taking up almost too much time even though they're really the things that are paying the bills how did you make the transition from doing 80% Cannondale work to really just more 100% call collective? Well, um, I'm, I'd love to be 100% call collective, but uh, I'm still not quite there at the moment, which which could be uh, surprising to some people who have followed the project. Um, but what actually happened was we did the first couple of years with the team, and then we did another couple of years on their tech projects, Cannondale's tech projects. And the the Coal Collective started actually in 2014. So just so that we can try and sort of set out a clear timeline. 2011 was when I, I did the big ride. That, that was the sort of the catalyst, I call it. It took me a year of, of creating that inspired marketing dossier and then um, a year of meetings. And then eventually a year later, uh, we had a contract where we could, we could effectively do some of our projects in Canada's work. Um, and then that another two years worth of, of Cannondale teamwork. Uh, and then in 2014, that was when I, I started the Coal Collective project. And, and it really, it was, it took that long to actually bring all the pieces together. Um, the vision was there, but how do, how do I make it sort of work financially? Um, how do, how do I launch? How do I, what's the content? What's the, what's the point of it and the objective, uh, or bringing all the pieces together took, took a little while. And, and, uh, obviously being so busy with the Cannondale projects, something had to be put on hold. Um, and then it was during the, when we were doing the tech projects, that was, as I mentioned, it was, it was such a hard time just to try and fit everything in. Um, I'd already said, you know, like we've got to, we've got to cut back somehow because we're a real small team. If we, if we carry on like this, we're, we're either just going to burn out or we're never going to get to, to try and, you know, bring to life what, what's in our, in our, in our heart and soul. And, you know, yeah, we're already trying to sort of like pull back and, but it's really hard when you work for yourself to sort of, you don't turn work down. Oh no, I don't fancy doing that for a global brand and, you know, giving you some stability, which is, is always important. Um, but actually what happened was it was, it was quite a natural evolution where, uh, naturally Cannondale's work, we, we, we'd done the sort of tech side and, and things, the projects just started sort of getting a little fewer and then we had a bit more time and you know it was it, there was never a hard and fast moment where it was like we had a meeting and I said no I'm not going to do this for you and we're now doing this and do you want to be part of it and you know reinvest some of that into here it it, it just kind of evolved in in quite a, a nice time frame where naturally our, our bigger project work with with Cannondale sort of took a, a, a slight dip and then yeah the the other the coal collective was growing and also I think What's nice is uh, what we've seen is um, certainly the now when I talk with the guys at Cannondale, I really get a sense that they understand me now a lot more than the early days when I was, you know, four years ago, when I sort of pitched these ideas uh, four or five years ago. Uh, of course, it's like no one knows if anything's going to work. No one knows if, if I can do the job. You know, I could just be, you know, a, a, a an ex-employee who, who just wants to go off and, you know, ride his bike. But um you know, now they can actually see the, the, the fruition of the project and then you can check on YouTube the views and you can see the interactions with, with viewers. And, you know, we're always just trying to help people. I'm always answering questions. And, and now I think they really see that, you know, 
yeah, back then it was like, yes, we'll commit to what you're doing and we expect you to do something on your own, but we need this work done. And now I think I really get a sense that they feel that there's some real value in what we're trying to do in the in the community and, and in the cycling world. And they're, they're actually really proud to be part of it. And, you know, there's just a slight shift in their almost mindset and mentality as to when we talk and when we meet. And, uh, yeah, in the past when I maybe have to try and sell a project to them and convince, oh, yeah, this is what I, my goal and this is the vision. Now, because it's it's more established, as we've grown, there's also been that sort of maturing within Cannondale to understand that where we are. And, and that's I feel really, really fulfilled and satisfied with that because um you know i've got such long-term relationships with with cannondale and a lot of the other brands that we uh, or I've, I've got to know in my earlier career and and just subsequently either ended up sort of doing more ambassador or um yeah representing them in a in a in a certain way um and doing projects with them uh, and that, that that for me was really important because i you know it's really hard year on year to try and sit down and try and uh, convince a brand your your value and your worth that's I mean I, I, I've done that for so many years and you sometimes you know new people come in and then you start from ground zero again and you think oh, I can't believe it I've just spent five years surely I haven't got to go to the bottom rung of the ladder and, and try and explain the ins and outs for the last decade um, so yeah it, it took quite a nice evolution um, and I think, as I say, as we grew, uh, they understood our, our, our vision and, and the value that we could bring to, to the consumers. What I love about Mike's story is that he made himself so important to Cannondale that they would have a hard time replacing him. He not only had the deep knowledge base and skills they needed to keep their marketing program going, but he could show them with hard data how his efforts contributed to the bottom line. That's the important takeaway. Maybe you love your job, maybe not. But that paycheck can be a strong leverage point keeping you pinned down inside an office when you'd rather be jumping ship. Can you find a way to outsource your own job to yourself? How could you show your employee that it would make more sense for them to hire you as a contractor than as an employee? Chances are it would save them money, but you need to prove to them that it's worth the effort and that they'll still get the services they need. The other important takeaway I'd like to reinforce is that many of us, myself definitely included, have a hard time doing the hard things unless our backs are against the wall. If you're living a comfortable life making good pay, it can be hard to take that chance and risk change. It's easy to let the years slide by and do nothing, or procrastinate and justify to yourself how it's just not quite the right time. Mike used his life-changing ride to clear his head and commit to leaving, but it still took him a year to get his plan in place. But he took small steps every week to get ready, and he'd been laying the foundation for years. So, even if you think you won't be taking the leap anytime soon, start figuring out how you can ingrain yourself so deeply into your employer's business that they almost have to say yes when the time comes. Next week, we'll continue Mike's story with part two, where we transition to learning how he built the Call Collective into a real business, how he produces the videos and why quality matters, how he drives traffic to his channel, and how that earns him money. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, and tell a friend about us. Thanks, and until next time, start laying the groundwork and keep building. Keep building.